Welcome to the Awareness Offerings Podcast, a weekly offering of yoga philosophy discussion and guided meditation for the moments we're living in. I'm your host, Laura Tara Davy Joplin. I'm a yoga and meditation teacher, spiritual social media strategist, and integrative counselor, working to integrate the principles of the spiritual path into every aspect of my work and my life. This podcast is an extension of that work as I navigate the world as a white woman devotee of yoga, living at many intersections of privilege, living in the West, and trying to live with awareness. Thank you for joining me in this work. You're listening to episode nine, Swords and Balms. As always, if you'd like to support everything that's happening here in this awareness offerings container, best way to do so is by rating and leaving a review for the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen. And of course, if you feel called to share, whether on social media or by word of mouth, you have all my gratitude for doing so. And I'm just grateful that you're here. Welcome back to another awareness offering. We'll go into our traditional opening ritual of singing OM one time, as always. OM being the sound of consciousness, the hum of the universe. It is the fundamental energy of awareness that holds and animates everything in existence. And we want to call that in. We want to call for that and ask that to be here with us in this space. And that's what we do when we sing OM. So I'll invite you to come along with me in this practice. But you can do this by singing out loud or just by listening silently. If you're coming along, I'll invite you to get your body into a comfortable position, whatever that might look like. You might close your eyes or gaze softly at the floor. If you're doing an activity that makes it dangerous to close your eyes, please don't worry about it. (laughs) And then of course, if it's not comfortable to close your eyes, you can just soften your gaze any which way. I'll invite you to take a deep breath in through your nose if you can. Full exhale through your nose, clearing the path for consciousness. And then we'll inhale for one om. Thank you so much for joining me in that practice. You know, it's been so interesting recording this podcast every week or almost every week. And although it is a a space that holds my heart in so many ways, and it's a true gift to be able to talk about yoga philosophy and share meditation, two of my great loves in this way, I'm also sometimes aware that it can be a stressful event in itself, trying to get ready to record, find a space to record, all of that. Um, But I was really struck by the feeling as we were singing that opening ohm, that it's all good, that it's all okay. So I just wanted to share that, felt called to share in the moment, just offering the affirmation that um, we are held in a space of okayness. That doesn't have to mean like ridiculous positivity, that there's no uh, suffering or or discomfort or whatever else we're all collectively moving through, but just holding us in a space of okayness as we begin. So the the story behind how I arrived at this week's discussion topic starts with me laying in bed alone and feeling lonely. And honestly, that's an experience I've been pretty familiar with recently. I am fully unattached to anyone romantically or even kind of, um, there's just the, the romantic 
um, situation is just not happening. There's really no one in that regard, either casually or seriously. It's just not happening. Um, and I would like it to be happening. I'm in a space in my life, um, where I'm really solid that I know that I want a real partner in life. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm held in that space of okayness. It's okay that it's not happening right now. Um, but I'm still very clear that I want that. And although I still have a, a rich life, a full life, there's really never a dull moment. There's always lots to do and always lots of um, just meaningful work to be done. And I'm really grateful for that. Even still, I'm, it's a little sad. It can be a little sad in this phase. And I've, I find myself feeling a little bit lonely sometimes. And uh, I was having that experience where I was laying in my bed feeling lonely and thinking about uh, one of the last people that I was seriously romantically involved with as I was experiencing this loneliness. And that in itself, that last romantic, serious romantic involvement has been a process of its own. And I have described some of it already in some earlier podcast episodes, but essentially I have been in a months, if not years long process of slowly trying to untie the karmic knots between me and this person. Um, and karma in the, in the, um, through the lens of yoga philosophy, which is the lens that we look at things through here on this podcast. Um, Karma just means patterns, really deeply ingrained patterns. So I've been trying to untangle myself from the knots and patterns that tie me to this person because it has become really clear that it's it's not healthy for either of us. It's toxic. Um, And I really want to uh, emphasize either of us in that statement. That is not meant to be blame at all because I show up in that with my own stuff and my own patterns and contribute to that. But it's become very clear that it's there's some toxicity there. And so I've been slowly, painstakingly, sometimes excruciatingly trying to untangle myself um, from the patterns of that relationship. And um, it's reaching a point where it really is feeling like... Um, that involvement is dissolving, right? And that person is really not uh, going to be in my life. And you might laugh at me because several podcast episodes ago, I was already talking about, you know, I really have, I've really discovered that this person cannot be in my life. And several weeks later, I'm still working to disentangle myself. And so I just want to offer that as a moment of um, humanity and grace. Uh, But it's, it has, it's really starting to dissolve. And so I have been sitting in this place where I am completely unattached and I was having this moment where I was laying in bed and lonely and I started thinking about this person that I am uh, kind of untying the knots with and I just had a moment of wanting comfort, which is a really human thing to do and I, I have a lot of grace for myself around that, but I just imagined or thought about what would happen if I just called or texted and said, hey, can we just meet up and just had this person put their arms around me and and hold me and hug me close um, just for a feeling of comfort because they are someone that can provide that comfort to me as well as a lot of um, pain and suffering, which it's mutual, right? I'm not trying to blame. Um, but it is also true that that comfort is a part of it. So I was in this lonely space laying down and thinking, God, I really just want to call or text and just have this person wrap their arms around me so that I can feel held. 
And I entertained it for a moment. I was like, you know, I, it's okay for me to honor myself and what I want. And if that's what feels the most, um, if that's what's calling to me and feels like what I want and need, like it's not a horrible thing if that's something that I do. Um, but it was also pretty clear that that want was coming from a place of kind of not enoughness, right? Feeling like I didn't have enough love or comfort um, where I was at and feeling like I needed something outside of myself. And so as I started to entertain that idea, my mind, my higher mind, um, to me, that's the voice of my teacher, my guru. It's the voice of the sacred that usually interjects with higher wisdom when I'm coming from a lower space and that wisdom interjected. Um, and this is the message (laughs) that, uh, that kind of came through that became apparent. Um, The instrument that wounds us is typically not also the balm that heals us. The instrument that wounds us is typically not also the balm that heals us. And so in the case of interpersonal relationships, using this one that I've been navigating as an example, the person who... um, I don't want to say has caused our pain because that sounds like blame. Um, But the person who facilitates pain in our lives is typically not also going to be the person who helps us heal and brings us real comfort and real contentment. That's, it's just not going to happen. Um, And that is not to say that we can't heal the relationship with that person eventually, whether it is a romantic partner, um, a friend, uh, a parent. Not to say we can't heal the relationship. I'm not suggesting that at all. Um, But to heal ourselves, the the person who is associated with the deep pain is also probably not going to be associated with the deep healing. Um, and and again, I'm separating healing ourselves from healing the relationship. I do believe that is possible, but for it to be possible, we have to heal. And the source of the pain is likely not going to be the source of healing. And this made me think about how this concept applies not only to interpersonal relationships and toxic relationships, which it absolutely does, but it goes all the way up to uh, societal and communal levels. We can really apply this, and I think we kind of have to apply this to the systems that have been created throughout history uh, that we are functioning within in our current society. And I say we have to uh, because we are in this space. We've had this massive, immensely dense year and a half. I'm, you know, I'm recording this in the summer of 2021. We've all been through 2020 together, which included uh, a pandemic. It included the continued uh, violence and oppression toward black bodies that we saw play out uh, with the murder of George Floyd, which then resulted in one of the largest uh, racial and civil rights uprisings of our generation. Um, So we've been through so much and, um, there is a ten now that we're sort of on the other side of that in a way and moving forward with all the information we learned and experiences that we had in that, um, you know, the there's that um, just like I 
felt a craving for the comfort that I that I have experienced with this person that used to be in my life. Um, societally, we have a craving for the comfort of what feels quote unquote normal. And there is a desire to go back to a normal life. Um, but as so many uh, folks who are more marginalized than me, Black, Indigenous, people of color, queer people have said much more eloquently than I will, what really was normal and who was that benefiting? right? Normal for a lot of marginalized folks or folks who experience marginalization um, was violence and um, subjugation, oppression, um, just constantly feeling othered. That was normal. And so do we really want to go back to that? Can we really go back to that? Um, From folks who firsthand experienced the marginalization, the answer has been a resounding no. And that's why I say I think we have to apply this idea of the instrument that wounds us is not typically going to be the balm that heals us to our societal systems. Because uh, the systems that have caused so much pain to so many groups of people on the basis of race, uh, class and financial situation, uh, sexual identity, um, body type and size and shape, these systems that have caused so much harm are not also going to be the systems that heal, that ca- that that really heal our society and allow us to move forward in a way that is equitable and just for all people. It just isn't going to work. Um, I saw a tweet the other day, and I wish that I could quote uh, the author to you. It, I don't have it pulled up um, immediately on hand, but basically the tweet said, the only reasonable thing to do is change everything. The only reasonable thing to do is change everything. And actually, I have my phone right next to me. Let me just get into my... I shared it to my Instagram story. So let me just get into my stories archive just so I can uh, credit the, the, the person who wrote that. Uh, Joshua Potash on Twitter, uh, and I apologize if I mispronounce, is the one who said the only reasonable thing to do is change everything. The only thing we can do is transform And that is true kind of for me on a personal level. If I really want to heal, move forward and grow, the only thing I can do is transform. I can't keep reaching back for things that feel comfortable sometimes, but mostly cause me pain. Um, I have to instead be willing to be kind of in the discomfort and even sometimes pain of doing something totally different so that I can then grow and be different. Um, And also on a societal level, uh, we can't keep reaching back for the comfort of systems that provide comfort for some people, but oppression for so many. The only thing we can do is transform. And this entire uh, kind of period of reflection and working with this idea for me has made me think of Kali. Kali is the Hindu goddess, the deity. Um, but if ever I say goddess or deity, what I'm really talking about is energy. All the the different deities, especially in the tradition of Hinduism, which informs so much of yoga philosophy, and which is why I talk about it so much. Um, but all of the excuse me, all the deities in the Hindu tradition are forms of energy. Deity is another way of saying a form of sacred energy or an archetype for a specific type of energy or truth or essence. So that's what I mean. And Kali is the deity or the energy of destruction, transformation, and reality. 
She's the deity of destruction, transformation, and reality. And it's often said that Kali moments in our lives are the moments when things dissolve, right? When these big kind of ruptures happen. Maybe it feels catastrophic, like an, like an illness or an emergency or a breakup. These big dissolutions are Kali moments. That's Kali stepping in because what she does um, is she cuts through the bullshit. She is depicted as having several arms and she holds all these different tools in each of her hands. And one of her tools is a sword dripping in blood. No big deal. But that is a symbol of the way that she cuts through the bullshit. And so she is, um, she's around in those big moments of destruction and transformation. Um, and we collectively over the past year and a half have had a a long, intense Kali moment where things had to dissolve um, and come undone with this pandemic and um, racial injustice coming to yet another boiling point that's almost unacceptable that it even had to get to that point, but it did. Um, So we had a collective Kali moment um, where uh, things dissolved and the bullshit was cut through and we were able to see things as they really were. So that happens both on a personal and a collective level. And there's a reason, you know, that I called this episode Swords and Balms. Uh, because I'm, it's after Kali. This episode is named after Kali and half of the name is this sword that she holds, uh, that, that she uses to cut through the bullshit and, um, get us in touch with reality, right? Uh, You heard me mention earlier that one of the other, um, energies that Kali represents is reality. And indeed, one of the translations of the Sanskrit word Kali is reality. And the idea is that in those moments where the bullshit is dissolved and we have no other choice but to see things as they really are, no matter how wild or painful they might be, that's reality, right? That's reality stepping in and we are being invited to live with reality in a deep and wild way. But she doesn't just have a sword. She is she is this wild, fierce warrior woman who slays demons and cuts through bullshit. But that's not the only form of Kali. Like many women and many humans, she is multifaceted. She's mysterious and she's complex. So she has this wild, fierce, cut through the bullshit form, but she also is the divine mother. She's a form of the divine mother. And so she is said to be just radiant in her love. She is just an embodiment of wild, unconditional love. And in that, she also has nectar. She, she offers nectar. She offers balm. She offers the balm of unconditional love um, for healing. And so in my yoga tradition that I study in, um, it's it's often described that she will use the sword in one hand to cut your heart right open. um, But then in another hand, she will then place her hand on your heart and offer you the balm for healing. And I find it so interesting that, you know, one of her names is reality because reality holds both. Reality holds those absolutely painful moments of dissolution where we have to sit with reality and 
It holds beauty and balm and nectar um, and love that we can then pull toward our heart and kind of rub on our heart like a salve um, or like a lotion uh, to to then start to heal. Um, so there's there is the the pain and the dissolution and there is the balm of love and gratitude and all those other qualities of the heart. But the reason that I wanted to talk about Kali's sword and Kali's nectar, her balm of love, um, in this particular discussion is because they're two separate things, right? She doesn't use, you know, she has the sword in one hand and then she has the nectar flowing from a whole different place, uh, at least in my understanding. She doesn't use the sword to cut you open and then also use it to heal you. She doesn't use the balm to kind of cover you in unconditional love and to cut through the bullshit and get you in touch with reality. They are two separate things. And so it felt really emblematic of this idea that I've been sitting with, um, that the instrument that wounds us is typically not also going to be the balm that heals us. The sword and the balm are different and we kind of have to be willing to be okay right in that space of okayness with both arms of reality and we in that we also have to be willing to completely transform no small order um, but that's what you know it's wild to be asked to, to completely transform and that's why the tools and practices of classical yoga which I study and teach are also really wild um, and truly the only way I've been taught uh, to the only way sorry I get my words in the right order here I've been taught that the only way to uh, fully transform is to do it on the level of embodiment, not to think our way into transformation, but to embody our way into transformation, which happens through practice. So here we go. This is the time in the Awareness Offerings podcast when we sit for embodied meditative practice. So if you're doing something else that would preclude you from sitting still and meditating, this might be a good time to uh, pause the podcast and come back to it uh, once you have the space to meditate. And if you're going into meditation now, once again, I will invite you to get your body into a comfortable position, more specifically for meditation. Uh, if you can, I'll invite you into a comfortable seat. And a comfortable seat is any seat, as always, as long as you can lengthen your spine. The spine is the central channel of energy, like a power line, the main power line in the body. So everything can just move and align more freely when the spine is long. You can find your seat with your long spine by sitting on the floor with your legs crossed. If you're going to do that, I will highly encourage you to sit on something. Get your hips a little higher than your knees by sitting on a cushion, a pillow, a blanket, a towel, anything you have just to give yourself some padding. You can also sit with your back against the wall for spine support. If you're going to sit on the floor, you can sit with your legs crossed. It's kind of a traditional way of sitting, but it's not the only way. You can extend one leg or both legs. You can bend one knee, put a foot on the floor, or do that with both. You could sit on your heels here. And you don't even have to sit on the floor. You can sit in a chair or on your bed, as long as you find that long, upright spine. You just make your way into your seat. 
And as you find your seat, I will invite you to pull your shoulders backward and down away from your ears so that the center of your chest lifts and you're sitting in the posture of an open heart. It's really all we're looking for here is just the posture of an open heart for meditative practice. So as you sit, feel free to close your eyes. Gaze softly at the floor. Whichever feels most comfortable and supportive as a way of putting down the external vision and starting to turn your internal focus toward yourself and your inner world. You might also turn your focus toward your breath. Inhaling and exhaling through your nostrils, if nostril breath is possible for you today. And the conscious breath, breath with intentional focus, becomes like this pathway. Breath by breath, we walk ourselves into the present moment, just dropping into awareness for practice. And as you notice your breath, you might start to notice the other parts of your experience. You might notice the physical sensations in your body. You might notice the emotional realities that you're working with, the energy that you're feeling, even the thoughts in your mind, all pieces of you, pieces of your wholeness. So just allowing yourself, allowing all of those pieces. Sitting with reality, with Kali, by simply welcoming, or maybe not even welcoming, but just acknowledging the reality of every piece of how and who you are right now. And in particular, as you notice your thoughts, you can give yourself a little grace. You don't have to judge yourself for having thoughts as you sit in the space of meditation. Our human minds are kind of made that way to just think and go. And so uh, we don't have to be hard on ourselves for having thoughts. We're just trying to find the space that is more real, that is more uh, in touch with reality than the constant wildness of the mind. So as you notice the thoughts come and go in this space of meditation, feel free to just say not now to each one gently and lovingly as both a, a way to put down the thoughts and come back to the breath and the present and as an affirmation that the thoughts are not now. They are not the present. They are not the realist thing. Your present moment experience is the realest thing. So just consistently returning to breath awareness, body awareness, whatever awareness is coming up for you as a way of sitting with reality. And every time you shift your focus from your thoughts to your present moment reality, you actually create new neural pathways, new connections in your brain. So it becomes 
easier and easier each time to return to presence and sit with reality. Now, as we've established this container of presence, I'm going to offer us a silent mantra, a mantra, a a set of sacred sounds that can be done silently in the mind, uh, which is um, sometimes helpful because that means we can do it anywhere, wherever we are. Uh, It doesn't have to be done out loud. And it's a more subtle mantra practice than uh, saying anything out loud. Um, and my, my master teacher, my primary spiritual teacher, Ma Jaya Sati Bhagavati, who was a great devotee of the goddess Kali, uh, would say that when we say our mantras, when we sing these sacred sounds out loud, we are singing to the gods, right? To the form of uh, divine masculine, which has less to do with gender and more to do with like a feeling or an essence. It's kind of that external um, essence, but she would say that when we sing our mantras in our minds silently, we are singing to the goddesses, to that more subtle divine mother aspect. And so we'll do a silent mantra to the mother Kali. We are going to sing or say Kali's name in our minds with the breath in this meditation. And again, Kali represents an essence. She represents an energy. So you can decide what what sacred something connects you most to reality? It might be Jesus. It might be the Buddha, Mother Mary. It might be um, the night sky, the ocean, your family. But what connects you to reality? And you can put those thoughts and intentions into this mantra and the vibration, the energetic reality of the mantra will do the work of connecting you to reality. Because as we say Kali's name in this meditation, essentially we are asking, please connect me to reality. Get me real. Let me live with reality. And we kind of have to be careful what we're asking for here, right? Because sometimes reality has a sword and sometimes it is nectar. And part of that reality is being able to uh, separate the two to understand that the wounding and the healing um, kind of have to be different and ask wild transformation uh, of us. But by asking for Kali and reality, we are asking uh, for that transformation. And so the silent mantra that we will go into here is Om Namah Kali Ki Jai. Om Namah Kali Ki Jai. Essentially, calling on the name of Kali is what that means. Calling on the name, the essence of reality. So you inhale through your nose and think Om Namah Kali Ki Jai. And you exhale through your nose and think Om Namah Kali Ki Jai. Inhaling Om Namah Kali Kije. Om Namah Kali Kije. Just a silent mantra. 
asking to be with all facets of reality, to be okay with being split open sometimes, but to trust the nectar of healing that is also present in that space. And if you like to say your silent mantras with a melody, know that this mantra is typically sung out loud, like Om Namah Kali Ki So you can even sing the melody in your mind if you'd like, just inhaling your silent mantra, Om Namah Kali Ki Exhaling, Om Namah Kali Ki Open me up, mother, so that I can be with reality and heal me with your unconditional love so that I can keep my open heart even in this wild world. Om Namah Kali Ki Om Namah Kali Ki Repeating the silent mantra a few more times with your breath and noticing how it lands, how it feels, how it makes you feel. Om Namah Kali Ki Om Namah Kali Ki Sitting with reality, with openness and unconditional love. Om Namah Kali Ki Om Namah Kali Ki And one of the benefits of mantra, especially silent, is it gives us a conscious sound that can um, that we can focus our minds on, that can get a little louder than the thoughts. Just getting you more real every time. Now you can choose to keep repeating the silent mantra or not, but I'm going to close this meditation by reading you a poem by Ram Prasad, who is an 18th century Hindu poet and also a devotee, a devoted um, lover and student of the Mother Kali. And so I'll just invite you to listen with an open heart and a deep breath. Who is this unique warrior woman? Her terrifying war cry pervades the universal battleground. Who is this incomparable feminine principle? Contemplating her limitless nature, the passion to possess and be gratified dissolves. Who is this elusive wisdom woman? Her smooth and fragrant body of intense, 
awareness is like the petal of a dark blue lotus. A single eye of knowledge shines from her noble forehead like a moon so full its light engulfs the sun. This mysterious goddess, eternally 16, is naked brilliance, transparent insight. Cascades of black hair stream down her back to touch her dancing feet. Perfect in the art of wisdom warfare, she is the treasury of every excellence, the reservoir of all that is good. Her poet sings with unshakable assurance, Anyone who lives consciously in the presence of this resplendent savioress can conquer death with the drumbeat, ma, ma, ma. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Sigh it out to ground yourself. Two more. When you're ready, you can begin to blink your eyes open. Perhaps you begin to move your body around, just returning to the space, closing the formal meditation. But you've done some work to transform your relationship to reality, and that doesn't go away. So notice how you feel in this real and present moment, in the presence of the mother of transformation. There's another Kali mantra, kind of an exclamation to the mother Kali uh, that I will close with at the feet of the one who both breaks us open and covers us in love so that we can be with reality and transform in every single moment. Shri 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 Kali Ma Kijay. Thank you for joining me for this awareness offering and for going into embodied practice with me. You can find me on social media at Laura Tara, L-A-U-R-A-T-A-R-A on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. My intro and outro music was created by none other than my very own brother, Oxella Sun, O-X-E-L-A-S-U-N, whom you can also find on Instagram.